Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. As uh, Darren mentioned, we're uh, continuing our conversation uh, on the way of Jesus, and particularly uh, now over the next three or four weeks, looking at the question that the disciples asked Jesus, which was, Actually, it's probably the only question we have recorded that they wanted to learn from him, and that was teach us how to pray. Uh, So they had seen something in the way that he communed with his father that they wanted to learn. And what's fascinating to me is that Jesus didn't say to them, no, it's only for the special ones. It's only for a few of the higher-ups, right? Um, and and uh, that's important um, and significant. So we're going to just talk about that over the next three or four weeks. And today, particularly, um, I, I would probably almost prefer to do this one at the back end of the conversation because we're going to talk about unanswered prayer. How do you how do you how do you fit that into an understanding? Uh, but the more 
Um, I thought about the strategy here. The more I think maybe it's an important thing that we kind of just address the elephant in the room right from the get-go, and that is that prayer doesn't always work if you think that prayer is mostly about getting God to do what you want. That by itself can help us begin to shake up some of our understandings of what prayer is. It's not magic. It is supernatural. It is spiritual. Uh, We pray for people for healing all the time here, and many folks are healed and many are not. Does that mean these folks deserve it and these don't? God is good to these and he's not good to those? That's what I want to kind of speak into a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, Anybody been disappointed by God? You've asked him for something and he said no. Please notice that was an answer. I will suggest to you that there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. What we usually mean by that is, how come I didn't get what I asked for? But if we reframe it and think that no is an answer, then we realize that maybe God's up to something beyond getting us what we ask for, right? And that prayer doesn't function in a mechanical universe. Prayer functions in a relational universe with a loving father. I've been working on this sermon since uh, about 1982. (laughs) That was uh, when my mom was diagnosed with the bone cancer that would kill her two years later. I grew up in a church and was part of a church that believed in and prayed for healing. And I prayed for my mom's healing. Evangelists prayed for my mom's healing. Pastors prayed for my mom's healing. My dad prayed for my mom's healing. We were told all kinds of reasons why she wasn't healed. Variations on the theme must be unconfessed sin. Uh, She doesn't have enough faith or you don't have enough faith. And I was 30 years old when my mom died. Um, And I was aware enough that most of that was bogus. So it began a journey for me on, well, then what's the the point in praying? If God's going to do what God's going to do, what's the point in praying? And then secondly, why, why, didn't, why, why didn't she heal my mom? Why didn't he heal my mom or she? God is expressed in male and female. That was a slip, but there you go. It's also true. Hmm, I need to play around with that. Um, so, and the answer couldn't have been, in my view at least, uh, that there was something deficit in faith or there was something problematic in her character or whatever else. Um, Because I saw people healed who were a whole lot, you know? (laughs) Um, And uh, so that began the journey. And in, in some ways, even though I've been working on it since 1982, it's not finished yet. Because uh, I still don't know all of the answers, uh, which is what I think the point that I want to leave you with is. I was very encouraged when I began my conversation on this to discover that not all of Jesus' prayers were answered in the way that he wanted them to be answered either. 
So if we're going to learn to pray in the way of Jesus, we need to be prepared for prayers that aren't answered the way we would have preferred. As well as learning what God is doing, which is what I think prayer is fundamentally about. Prayer is not then a mechanical structure by which we accomplish outcomes, although prayer is the primary way by which things happen in the kingdom. Prayer is the language of asking. Prayer is the language of partnership. Prayer is the language of intimacy. Prayer is the language of relationship. Uh, you probably know if you've read the Psalms or any of the Psalms that about half of them, actually more than half, are angry, disappointed, frustrated, complaining Psalms. Why? Because people got answers that they hadn't anticipated or didn't want. 85 Psalms, teaching the children of God how to pray through disappointment with God. So I want to kind of leverage that a little bit and ask um, what, what, what we're really talking about here. Um, it, it, how do we learn to walk in the way of Jesus uh, when God doesn't do what I, what I want him to do? Why are there some things that we could probably learn from that I want to, oh, that's, that's, what, that's what's going on there, uh, as well as what might he be up to? Because the, 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 I, I can look back now, you know, these 34 years later and say, okay, all kinds of things have flowed. God has been at work for good in the death of my mom. That's not why she died. She died because she had cancer. God didn't heal her. He, God could have healed her. He didn't. But he was at work in her death in all kinds of ways, uh, to, for me at least, and probably dozens of other places that I'm not even aware of. But that's not why. So there was no purpose going in, but there was purpose flowing out. Does that make sense? Um, and so it's that kind of awareness that I'd like to kind of bring you into as we start this month-long conversation in prayer. Um, the first one, and, 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 and I need to frame this carefully, but why doesn't God give us the answer we want when we ask? Uh, the first one is because we don't have enough faith or we don't have faith. Here's the text, and I want you to listen carefully to this because I need to reframe what faith is. Faith is not believing in the impossible. Faith is not denying reality. Faith is not magic. It's not fingers crossed, hope to die. Faith is standing in a certain reality within which prayers may or may not be answered in the ways that we like. In fact, I will argue it takes more faith to die well than it does to be healed to stay solidly anchored in what is true, even though circumstances resist its truthfulness. Right? Here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 5, verse 7. Faith is the confidence, the standing in the reality, and what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we don't see. And he's not talking there about specifically about outcomes. He's talking there about the kingdom of God and the reality of the kingdom. We stand in the reality of the kingdom, what we hope for. We stand in the assurance of the victory of the king, what we long for. Even though we don't see it, we stand in that reality. That's what faith is, right? 
In fact, well, here, let me finish this off first. And without faith, then, this is the point I was getting at, it is impossible to please God, because if you come to him, you've got to believe that he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does he reward them with? Himself. God doesn't reward us always with the answers to our prayers. He rewards us with his presence. Can I just say, if his presence isn't enough, no answer will be. That's one of the reasons why I think sometimes he's, in my own journey, he has trained me into his presence by saying no to a legitimate request that I have made. Am I enough for you? Or is what you're really after the answer? So faith here, it seems to me, is standing in that reality. It's relational, not mechanical. It is, it is not wish, wishful thinking, or as we learned back in, in, the, in the 80s, this whole positive confession word faith, which still persists in some measure uh, in, the, in the church today and, and has brought some measure of value, but nonetheless has, has created some, some real tensions uh, as well. Uh, what faith is, is, is st- and this is why Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, which, by the way, is not very much, You can rearrange the geography of the planet. You can say to this mountain, be cast in the sea. That's that's significant. Why? Because standing in the reality that faith represents, the spiritual world has preeminence over the material world. That's how it works. Do I stand in the reality of the kingdom of God and his righteousness that then has capacity and power over the material world, sicknesses, poverty, systemic evil, all of those kinds of things, right? Do I stand in that reality even if it doesn't appear to be working in the moment? This is why Jesus, the guy dropped down through the ceiling, right? Says to him, your sins be forgiven. He is caught up in that conversation by folks who are anxious about Jesus' forgiving sins. And listen to what he says. Which is easier to say here in public with y'all watching? Your sins be forgiven? How would you even know that occurred? Or, and then he turns to the guy and says, take up your bed and walk. Here's a demonstration of the small thing. It takes way more faith to forgive sins and to receive the forgiveness of sins than it does to rise up from a bed of paralysis. So if you have enough faith to call on the name of the Lord, you have enough faith to heal everybody in Hogue. Because you stand in a reality within which that... Now, what happened? You've got to be trained in how to use that kind of faith. You gotta be tr- That's why we're talking about the way of Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus didn't heal everybody who was sick. Everybody okay with that? Not so much, huh? All right, well, that's that's fine. Read John chapter 5. He left five porches, five covered patios filled with sick people to heal one guy. 
Now, what's he doing? Well, he tells us what he's doing. He's paying attention to what the Father's doing, and he only does that. Oh, wait a minute. So prayer isn't about healing everybody. How many people did Jesus have the capacity to raise from the dead? He was the resurrection and the life. How many did he raise from the dead? As far as I can tell, two. Don't you think that might have been a little frustrating for him? That's what you feel in the garden. Everybody okay so far? Okay, so that's one. God doesn't give us what we ask for because we don't stand in the reality within which he might. Second, either we don't ask or when we ask, we ask amiss. Uh, James chapter 4, uh, verse 2. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Please notice what James is doing is the same thing as his big brother did. This is a riff on the Sermon on the Mount where James is saying in his way what Jesus said in his way in chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You don't have because you don't ask God. You have a misalignment of priorities. You're trying to accomplish what you want without an orientation towards the goodness and grace of God. And then he says, sometimes you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. What you really want is to spend what you get on your pleasures. Oh, oh, that helps. Not much. Because candidly, when I'm praying for some, and, 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 and even, I, I got to confess, praying for my mom to be healed, there was no small measure of selfish motivation there. Right? I had a, at that time, I had a, uh, when she was diagnosed, I had a one-year-old son, and, and, a, and by the time she died, he was three, and I had a second one-year-old son. And those boys have gone through their lives not knowing the funnest member of our entire family because she redeemed the whole mess of us. Right? And, and, and it's just, oh, Oh, couldn't you cut me some, a break here? Yeah? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So with that in mind, there was a selfish piece. It's not, I don't think I've ever had an unmixed motive in my entire life. Anybody else? Yeah, it, just me? Okay, so that's fine. That's fine. Don't listen to me there. But, but what he's saying here is that this isn't a vending machine. You put in your prayer and you out get, the, get out the answer. We are, we are told to ask. We are encouraged to ask. But then notice how he begins to shape our asking so that they come in line with what we really deeply, more profoundly want than anything else, and that is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not my variations on that theme. So that means secondly, thirdly rather, Part of the reason we don't get what we ask for is because we don't ask in Jesus' name. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, if my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Anybody catch the conditional clause there? 
remaining in Jesus, his words remaining in us, shapes our asking. We, our asking is shaped by our abiding. So that when we, and, and by the way, asking in Jesus' name is not like putting a postage stamp on a letter guaranteeing delivery. In Jesus' name means asking what Jesus would ask if Jesus were asking. We have been shaped by abiding in him. We have been shaped by his word abiding in us so that when we pray, we pray with his accent. We pray with his language. We pray with his heart. We pray having been formed and shaped by his character. And then having that being shaped in his name. We can ask and we will receive what we ask for. So we probably should ask, how did Jesus get shaped in his asking? We'll talk about that in just a second. Jesus is very clear, though. He doesn't do everything he wants to do. He doesn't do everything he can do. One of the most challenging parts of growing as a disciple of Jesus, for me at least, has been has been being able to do something and choosing not to do it because it's not what God is inviting me into. Here's a hard lesson that I've learned, and I've talked to you, some of you about this. There will always be enough time and energy and resource to do everything that God is asking you to do. There will not, however, be enough time, energy, and resource to do everything God is asking you to do and everything that everybody else is asking you to do, and everything that you want to do. So if you find yourself with more obligations than life, with more to do than you have time, energy, and resource to do, you might want to ask what you're doing that Jesus hasn't asked you to do. Jesus did what he did because he said, John chapter 5 and 7 and 8 and on to the end, was because he saw, this is what I'm seeing the Father doing. So this is what I, this is, I heard the Father say this, so this is what I say. I don't say anything in my own initiative. I don't. I don't say anything in my own initiative. That's stunning to me. I want, I want to learn the character of the Father so well that I can discern in any given moment what he's up to. And do that, and then stop. Right? It's like, it's like the difference between a mature prophet and an immature prophet. An immature prophet hears the word of the Lord and speaks it. A mature prophet hears the word of the Lord and says, now what do I do with this? Do I pray it? Do I carry it? Do I intercede? Do I speak it? Do I speak it now, or do I speak it later? Do you, do you catch the difference? It's, it's like, what do I do with what I've been given? That's the difference between immaturity and maturity in terms of spiritual giftedness even. So that's a whole other thing. But you with me? It's going to be over soon. The fourth thing that disables effective praying is that we give up on things that God wants. 
Here's Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable. It's a parable of the woman who is uh, persistent in her pursuit of justice, dealing with an unjust judge. That's the parable. But he did this to show them that they should always pray and not give up. At the end of that, Jesus finishes with a tear in his eye and says this, will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith left on the earth? Or will everybody just have quit? Will they have given up because it's hard? Even when we are praying in Jesus' name, part of our training to maturity in prayer is the aligning of what we want with what God is up to and wanting it as much as God wants it. Wanting it as much as God wants it. Sometimes I think we throw up our prayers and say, well, he's going to do what he's going to do. Remember that part of prayer is not getting stuff done. It's becoming a certain kind of person that he can trust. Do you care about what God cares about as much as God cares about it? That's what prayer trains us into. It's not a, it's not a hold your breath and, you know, three-year-old in Walmart till I get what I want. That's not what he's after here. What he's after here is, do you care about human trafficking enough to stay in it? Because God cares about it, right? Do you care enough about it to stay in it in prayer and intercession until an outcome comes, until a breakthrough occurs? Or is it, oh God, and then I'm on to other things. Do, do, do you see what we're after here? This is why we need the body of Christ, because not everybody will carry the same weight. But what he's given you to carry, do you carry it until the race is over? That's what we're invited into. And Jesus is concerned. You can feel it in, in the way he says this. When the Son of Man, when I return, Will I find anybody who's hanging in there till the end of the race? Whoa. I, I want to I be the guy that says, you can count on me, except I'm terrified that I'm the one he's looking at. Do, do you know? So that's the fourth thing. And the fifth thing, and the, probably the, by far the broadest category, is that God is up to something else. When God doesn't give me what I ask for, it's not because he's mean, it's not because he's angry, it's not because he's punishing me, it's probably not because he's trying to teach me something, it's probably not because I sinned, right? It's probably because he's up to something else at a deeper and more profound level. And by the way, while I'm at this, I've got to just, let me just say, if you think God is teaching you a lesson but you're not sure what it is, then it's not God who's teaching you. Why do I say that? Do you really think that God can't teach you the lesson he needs you to know? That he leaves you guessing what he's up to? That's not, what he That's not how he operates. He's a good, good father. If, the, if it's critical for you to know what you did wrong, believe me, you'll know. 
And if you don't, it's not probably the issue. Everybody okay? All right. So what might God be up to? Here's the passage that just uh, both liberating and haunting to me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, notice how carefully the writer sets this up. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And having been made perfect, having been brought to completion, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And of course, I believe that the reference here is primarily to the prayer in the garden on the night before the crucifixion, where Jesus' prayer was, get me out of this. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, your will be done. This was not a crapshoot for Jesus, whatever you want. It was, I know what your will is. I don't want it. Nonetheless, I'm going to align my will to yours and take no for an answer. You want to learn to pray in the way of Jesus? There's a good chance that at some point down the road, he will train you in obedience through the things that you suffer too. It's really hard for us, right? Because we believe a good father would give good things to his children all the time, and he does. It's just that he gets to define what is good and we don't. When you were five, good meant cotton candy and payday bars. What would a good father do? Maybe he would seek to train your appetite to things that you would do you good for a lifetime. Is that possible that he's up to something like that in you now? Maybe, for example, he wants to use not your healing, but the way that you carry your illness with grace as a way of the kingdom's coming. Is that possible? Is it possible that he might do that? Right? Maybe it will be because your marriage thrives and just vibrates with uh, mutual intimacy and joy and celebration. Or maybe it's because you are hanging in there and loving your spouse the way Jesus loved the church, even though sometimes, like Jesus has a hard time loving the church, you have a hard time loving him or her. And training you in that kind of obedience and that kind of heart-shaping towards the coming of the kingdom. Because remember, the goal is never to get a specific and Everybody that Jesus healed got sick again. Everybody that Jesus raised from the dead kept the grave closed because they were going to need him again. Do you see? The point is not the outcome. The point is, what is he doing beyond the outcome? Do we want his will to be done? Do we want his kingdom to come more than we want the short-term solution in the moment? 
So when we get trained in the way of Jesus, trained in partnership, part of what we have to learn is the reason we pray certainly is to partner with him in what he's doing, but I want more than anything else to know his heart. I want to know what he's up to. I want to know what he's like. Do you know? I want to, I want to develop an understanding so that my gut has been trained by abiding in him, and I just have a sense of what he's doing in any given moment. It's one of the reasons why we pray here the way we pray. You'll notice if you come for prayer, one of the things that our team is trained to do is wait, wait. What's God up to here? And sometimes it's not what you, what you came for, but it's what you need. Do, do you see what we're after here? And I want my heart to be trained so well, even if I recognize that some of that training is through disappointment, so that I can actually be useful in the coming of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.